Hi, this is Roger Green, host of the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. We're offering three separate conversations from Wednesday night's episode, hashtag real talk on clinical trial design and execution. In this conversation, the second, the panelists, Stephen Harrison, Arizona Liver Health Institute Medical Director, Dr. Naeem Al-Khoury, South Texas Research Institute Medical Director, Dr. Rashmi Patil, Louise Campbell, and I, describe three ways that COVID-19 has affected the patient recruitment process, none of which involve the obvious issues around patients visiting trial sites. The key words are education, communication, maybe consistency. Sit back, listen, enjoy, learn. Drug developers, investors, researchers, and corporate executives wrestle weekly to understand what is happening in commercial development of NASH medications. Join hepatology researcher and key opinion leader Stephen Harrison, liver wellness advocate Louise Campbell, and forecasting and pricing guru Roger Green as they discuss the issues affecting the evolving NASH market from their own unique perspectives on the Surfing the NASH Tsunami podcast. I'd agree with what everybody said. And having seen it in the research unit I was working in before, it's very, very difficult. And even when we were doing fibre scans in real-time clinic, names quite correct that it's very, very difficult to get these patients in. We would discharge back to GPs nine out of every 10 patients that came in with abnormal liver function test. They purely had a fatty, soft liver. So back to the primary care. So I think searching primary care may give us better quality patients coming through already with higher fibre scans and the more appropriate patients coming in. But I was reading this week, Equiva estimate that 940 million undiagnosed patients this year because of lack of attending face-to-face consultations in healthcare in the US. So where are we going to locate and diagnose these patients with the backlog of clinics would be my concern. And, and I suppose the other one is that a lot of people have put on weight. And when we fibro scan, we're probably going to be detecting a significant more patients with high fat, high stiffness because of inflammation, because they've loaded their livers with fat with the COVID effect. And I think they will give us more false positives. But when we get them closer to biopsy, they may actually fail and scream foul because they're giving us the wrong signals because of the COVID effect and lifestyle. So those are just the two or three things that I've been thinking about when I look at the patients that we see. So here's, here's COVID again. That's another complexity in enrolling NASH clinical trials. But from a different twist, I think Louise has really shed light on a part of this COVID pandemic issue that I haven't ever thought about before. Let me just tell you what I mean. So when I when I do my clinic, half of my well, not quite half, maybe a quarter of my patients won't come in. So it's a telehealth visit. And for a lot of primary care, that's still all they're doing. So think of I'm just thinking about my own practice. I when I'm on a telehealth visit, everything I do is suddenly compressed and I fall back to my foundational principles of medicine. I I begin to not think outside the box. I'm not willing to entertain alternative hypotheses. I'm just focused on what is in front of me and how do I fix what I can fix on that telephone call. And I think our primary care colleagues and our endocrine colleagues and our other GI colleagues and our other liver colleagues are doing the exact same thing. Whereas if we weren't in a COVID pandemic, hear me out here, somebody could come into that clinic and say, look, I've got a new 
test, a new blood test, a new imaging study. I've got a trial that is kicking butt and taking names for fatty liver, leaving a big fat dent on this planet for fatty liver disease. Let me share that with you. Let me take a couple minutes of your day and show how I can help you in your clinical practice of fatty liver by offering something better than what you're doing today. That opportunity has been abrogated significantly in 2020 because of COVID. So I think that's an angle to this COVID thing I haven't ever thought about until Louise just mentioned it. And I think as we begin to get vaccinated, patients begin to come back in. We open the doors to allow people to come in and teach us about parts of the disease that we see that we don't fully understand or know, or that new science has led us to some new discoveries or potential opportunities in my own hometown exist to send patients to get care that I can't offer them, I think that will open the floodgates. But right now, we're constrained by the COVID rules. You know, Stephen, that's that's fascinating. I um, was talking this morning with a primary care physician here who's a good personal friend. I shared with him what you and Manal were talking about with your siblings and ER medicine a month, month and a half back on podcast and how hard it was. I asked how it affected him. What he said was, I do everything I do, and every day, COVID is going to put work on top. Don't know how much. Some days a tremendous amount, some days less. I said, so how does that affect morale? He said, well, everybody's adjusted with morale. I said, how does it affect your ability to think? And he said, at this point, the only research that I'm doing is what I'm sent in newsletters by my system because I don't have time. He said, so I feel like I'm being kept up to date to the degree that my health system is sending the information to help me do that. But the inquisitiveness, the things I'm fascinated by, he said, he said none of that. Yeah. So to take that one step further to your, to your people that are at the tip of the spear, the hepatologist in this particular conversation conversation with this particular disease. The last time we were able to gather together was January of 2020. Now, 13 months ago. And so you say, well, there's all these virtual opportunities. Here's what happens in a virtual clinic. It's the same thing that happens if the meeting happens to be in the town that you live in. You're still on call. You still have to round on your service. You still have to see patients. Or if I'm doing Zoom like I am right now, except this is AASLD or it's easel. Doc, I know you're in there on a meeting, but look, I got to run this case by you. You got to see this. This, this is just got to, we got to deal with it. Uh, the sky is falling. Chicken little, you've got to save the day. Figure this out for me. I can't say I'm really not here. This is a hologram. I'm in whatever city at a, at a virtual meeting. So even virtual meetings were pulled away from and and distracted from that really that experiential learning that we're so used to having. So it really, I think, adds to what your friend told you, Roger, about about learning new things in this pandemic that we live in outside of new things relative to COVID. So let me go back to Rashmi, because Rashmi, you've made the point that one of the things we need to do is better physician to physician education. Yeah, absolutely. How do we address that challenge now? And as we come out of COVID a little bit and people have new habits that they've developed that aren't frankly good habits for this kind of open-ended learning, how do we start to bring them back to the older, more open-ended structure? Or what do we do instead? Well, I think if you're talking about a physician-to-physician education opportunity, we've really not been able to meet a lot of our physicians in our community face-to-face. And I think that's when we have the best conversations is when we look at a specific patient case or we're able to 
give a 30-minute lecture to the physician and his mid-levels. We've unfortunately been trying to do that in a way that is still personal through Zoom lunch and learns and, and different ways of interacting. Um, but I, I do still think that it's kind of a snippet that we give the physician who right now in the middle of a pandemic already has a huge checklist of things to check off. So fatty liver is, is still in the background. So it's kind of continuing to knock on the door, you know, and continuing to sort of make liver disease a priority on that checklist. I would say the other thing that we are probably going to see and why fiber scan is so important is that those patients who we saw in clinic six months ago who had maybe an intermediate amount of stiffness uh, or kind of in the gray area who have gained now 30, 40 pounds in the past year are now going to have high risk findings. And so those are people who, when we met them the first time, we kind of said, look, you have the potential for advanced liver disease, and we're meeting for the first time, so it's kind of shocking for the patient. We give them a little bit of time to think about being on a clinical trial, and when we present them with their second fibro scan finding after they haven't been able to lose the weight or undergo the lifestyle modification that we ask, then I think it's very telling for them to see two findings on their fibro scan that are similar or worsening uh, in terms of the numbers. And I think at that point, when we're more empathetic to them and we're giving them more data, that uh, they're more willing to be on a, a clinical study. So that's kind of what's going to happen is we're going to see those patients again in clinic and we're going to have to retell the story for them, but also help them understand that lifestyle modification is part of the picture, but not the full picture. And just to go back to education also for the sponsors, I think this is very important that they include, uh, you know, hepatologist experience sites in um, the early um, discussions of protocol development and include and exclusion criteria because it's always you know this tension between trying to enrich your patient population and have this you know highly selected group of patients with significant liver fat and inflammation and fibrosis and no comorbidities and then real life which is really finding these people that qualify so i think uh, you know obviously it's always important to have people in academia but also people that actually enroll the trials because they will help you i mean sometimes the sponsors have criteria that just doesn't really make sense for the drug they're trying to develop and they require you know a specific ALT or PDFF where you can actually go with a little bit lower values and it will not probably affect anything related to the trial. Uh, even you know uh, concomitant uh, medications, comorbidities, things like that. I mean if you include all statins versus certain statins as exclusionary that will affect how many patients we can include. There are things you can't go around you know like A1C above 9.5 this will always be exclusionary. Exclusionary, uh, But, you know, I mean, in the early days, we had uh, different values. Uh, sometimes it was nine, sometimes it was 10. And these, you know, tiny differences make a big difference for sites that's trying to enroll these patients. So I think just listening to the sites, if we give them feedback related to a specific inclusion or exclusion criteria, if they don't have a good rationale, I think, you know, to be more open-minded and try to be inclusionary uh, rather than exclusionary. I mean, even BMI, if you say you're going to set your BMI at 35 versus 40 versus 45, that makes a huge difference for us. And if you have a good rationale and you're worried about the PK of your drug, I understand. But if it's just something because everyone else is doing it, you, you know, you better think it through and make sure that you need to have that lower BMI. 
We hope you've enjoyed this recording. We're releasing two more conversations from this episode, and we'll release our next at full episode on Wednesday, February 18th. I hope you'll enjoy the conversations and join us then. Until then, stay safe and see you on the podcast. Bye-bye now. You've been listening to the Surfing the Nash Tsunami podcast. Have any questions for the surfers? You can send them to surfingnash.com and we will answer on the podcast or the website. Thanks for listening. See you next week on the podcast. <laughs>